We will be reading from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please be seated, church. All right, good morning, Redemption Tucson. It is so good to be able to worship together, and um, I'm excited for what God has in store for us as we get into his word together this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Tucson, and um, I uh, want to give you a heads up. If you've never heard me preach before, I do have a stutter, so that kind of comes in and out as I go. And I uh, just want to make sure that you know what that is. And um, we're in week two of a, a series we're walking through right now through the Lord's Prayer. And in, in this time, we want to slow down and, and learn what it looks like to be a people of prayer. As a church, we are praying that we will will grow in, in prayer, that it will become um, more of an, of an appetite within us where we long to go before God, to ask him um, to shape us, to inform, to give us perspective on what we're walking through, whatever that might be, even moment by moment throughout each, each day. And so what better way to learn prayer than through the words of Jesus himself? And as we looked at last week, he begins the prayer with our Father. And then this week we continue as we look at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Um, I, I want to ask specifically that throughout this time for many of us, that's become something that could seem like kind of a good luck charm, kind of just a, a prayer that you recite and kind of check out. And then sometimes if you're doing it in a big group, someone will say, you know, thy name or your, you know, it'll a couple different words and then you kind of get, but for the most part, you just kind of walk through and kind of, you know, kind of check out. But, but it's really shaping each part as we're walking through is, is, in, is a gift from God to really speak to us and again, shape us and transform us. So let's go before him right now and pray that he will lead us through this time together. Heavenly Father, in your name we come. We gather in rooms throughout Tucson. Right now as we come before your scriptures, we ask that you will reveal yourself to us. Lord, I know that um, in the same way as when we gather each week together, in the same way right now there are people in all different places some who are skeptical about church, some who um, are, are wondering where you are in this season we find ourselves in, um, some who, who, who love you and delight in you and yet are still struggling. Um, Lord, all over the map, we, we come together right now. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit, who inspired the very words of Scripture to be written, will now lead and direct us. Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes and give us eyes to see. Lord, open our ears and give us ears to hear. Soften our hearts and let them be receptive to your words, which are shaping, are good, are true, are profitable. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me start out with that part, name, right? I just 
I just prayed in Jesus' name. And sometimes that we we live in a culture right now where we have different names and, and they tend to not mean as much, right? We just think of it that way. And so when we hear name, you think of like, why'd you just say Jesus's name? Why can't you just say Jesus, right? Like he already knows his name. Like, why are you adding that onto it? Well, name, especially in the Near East, um, at the time of the scriptures written, including in many cases today, name means much more. Name means like character, identity, purpose, work, impact, okay, name meant who you are, okay, and so when we pray in Jesus's name, we are saying the things that we're saying, we're able to say with confidence and hope that God is hearing them, and that they are are good and acceptable to him, because we're able to pray because of who Jesus is, God the Son, and what he has done through his perfect life, his, his sacrificial substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection from the dead. Because of those things, because of all that Jesus has done, his name is Jesus, and so we are able to pray. Well, when we start out, we're praying first and foremost to God our Father, and we talked about that last week. And then in this next part, hallowed be your name. So I'm looking at the um, English Standard Version right now, the ESV, and some of you might have different translations, even the NIV, the New International Version, which is more apt to throw in different words, even in that translation has hallowed. Well, why would, it's because there's no appropriate um, substitute in our day today, right? But that's not a, a word that we use a lot in our in our culture today. I don't know about you, but when I went out on my first date with my wife, I didn't sit across from her and say, "Tell me w- w- what you hallow." You know, it, no, it's like, "What do you like?" right? What what are you interested in stuff? But 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 that wouldn't if it just said interesting is your name or important is your name, that that wouldn't capture what God wants to get across here what Jesus wants to communicate. Cuz cuz hallowed means um central shaping, most sacred, most ultimate. And, and even that, that, that last song that we just, just sang, right, to talk about Jesus is better. And as Stephen was transitioning through the confession and the assurance of grace and going into this time, um, the reality is we find other things in life to be most ultimate most shaping, to find our satisfaction, to find our identity, to find our purpose. We, we tend to give ourselves to other things. So even if we recite a prayer that says, oh, hallowed be your name. God, God, your name is most holy, is most sacred, is most ultimate, is most central in my life. Practically, um, reality is that's often not the case. And so what we're going to do this morning together is we're going to walk through six passages of Scripture, and we're going to cover the full breadth. We're starting out in Genesis 1, and the last passage I'll read is in Revelation chapter 7. And we're going to walk through the whole story of God's Word, understanding, looking at this idea of God's name and what it looks like for His people to hallow him most, to have his name be most central to who we are and what we do and how we live. All right, so, um, and I'm just going to walk through these, so I'll give you time to turn with me, if you will. I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word with you. And so first, when we look at the very beginning, when God created everything, in Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, 26 and 27, we see this. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. them. So, so what this means is in the very beginning, God's design is who he is has everything to do with who we are. Individually and communally, our identity and our purpose is meant, is, is created with an intent, with a design to be directly connected to God, that his name, right, who he is, when God says, let us make man in our image, who God is, his, his goodness, his creativity, his dominion over, over all things, his intentionality, his, his love, God is love, what was meant to, to, to direct Again, everything about us in the world, all around us, everything we do with our, with our hands, every word we say, every relationship we have, it is meant that God created us to have, again, our identity and our purpose centered upon him, upon his name. But sadly, tragically, the second part of the story goes from creation to rebellion. In Genesis chapter 3, just one page over, in verse 4, we see this tragic reality of God's name being questioned, right? What, what happens when something else um, is now com, 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 competing for, um, for, for, for hallowedness, for, for ultimateness um, instead of God? In verse 4 of chapter 3, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, that's this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, now they did that. They made clothes for themselves because when their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked, they were naked all along. But now their relationship with one another was distorted. Shame entered in. Their identity, their purpose, now, now separated from who God created us to be. And just... Right, this is a story we can look back and, and kind of keep it out there at arm's distance. But I want to encourage all of us just to think in reality how often is your and my identity, how we view ourselves, interwoven with how we perceive other people thinking about us? Right, how often is our purpose, what we do, related to a broken, distorted identity? Right, insecurity. And, and it starts with a questioning of God's name, a questioning of God's, God's character. Are you sure God wants what's best for you? Are you sure he knows what's right for you, that your identity and your purpose would flow from him? Maybe he's a selfish God. Maybe he doesn't have your best interests in mind, right? The serpent um, accused and tempted and said, maybe 
if you kind of leave God there, if you check out, um, you could find what's best for your life. You'll be like God. You can replace him. You don't need to have his name, his identity, his character, and, and who you are flowing out of him. You can substitute it for something else. Again, go back to that time and think of this idea, this word of idolatry, right? A word that we don't tend to use a lot in our day is simply replacing God with something else. It's it's hallowing something else. In this case, it's, it's, it's my identity and my purpose can be found in separating from God. And in our days, take your pick, right? There's so many different things that we can think of that we want to replace God with. My identity will be found in romance, in, in a relationship, in financial security, in, in my physical health, in, in how other people view me, in, in positions of power, of control, right? Whatever it might be, all of these things are things that we tend to hallow, and it ultimately finds itself coming back in, 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 in not hallowing God's name and not, not trusting him. And not finding that he is the creator and the source of all of life. And so then the, 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 the reality to the whole rest of the story is that every person is born in this brokenness. Again, identity and purpose being distorted and, 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 and looking everywhere else for it. And we see in um, Genesis chapter 11, another, another passage that is central, that's often overlooked, but, but I want us to see kind of the ultimate reality, the ultimate culmination of what happens when 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 creatures, when people try to find ourselves apart from God. All right, look, um, I'm just going to read here Genesis chapter 11 in verse 4. This is the Tower of Babel. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a, st- and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. A what? A name for ourselves. I don't know if you just heard the dog bark in the background. That was actually kind of funny. Someone sneezed too. God bless you. All right, we're all doing this right here live. Um, but but yeah, a name for ourselves, which is not again, oh, we'll become the people of you know Tucson, the people of what no, again, a name. We'll find an identity and a purpose for ourselves. We don't need God. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Lest God fulfill his promise and his plan from the beginning to fill the earth for us to have dominion for the work of our hands to be good and to glorify him. Hey, lest we find ourselves submitting to his plans and purposes, right? We can't trust him. Let's make a name for ourselves. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So what God does, and that might sound like God's, you know, being like a sneaky, mean kid that has like a magnifying glass over a whole bunch of ants and is like, oh, I'm going to, you know, shame on you. I'm going to, no, this idea is this. God sees that the ultimate end of his people his image bearers, that's all of us, every person ever born, ever walked the earth, is an image bearer of God, value and worth built in, written in, woven together. 
And God in his love says, if people find themselves apart from me, it will ruin them. It, it, there will be ultimate hopeless devastation. So God lovingly, mercifully steps in and scatters and disrupts our plan of trying to establish ourselves apart from him. I don't know what's going on in your life specifically right now. And hear me right now. Um, don't go write blogs and emails or whatever. I'm not trying to say, oh, this is, I'm thus say it the Lord. This is why God's doing this and try to connect all these dots of what's going on right now with COVID-19 and all this stuff, right? But throughout the entire history of the world, God somehow lovingly and mercifully is calling a people to himself, restoring what has been broken, and sometimes it's really hard. It looks like him dispersing or toppling over. This tower they tried to build, he toppled it. And then now we're going to skip way ahead to Philippians um, chapter 2, where we see, right, the ultimate culmination of our efforts apart from God. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's hallow ourselves. Let's hallow our work, our relationship, our romance, our identity, our, you know, Twitter followers, our, our hashtags, whatever. Let's hallow all these other things and center our lives around these things. And God in love disrupts that. But what does he do? In Philippians chapter 2, we see what God who came down and disrupted, does in love, giving of himself for his people. In Philippians chapter 2, so that's all the way over now. You can, again, turn a huge chunk of your Bible all the way over or look at the table of contents, but in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, this is talking about Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, this is Jesus humbling himself. Um, the whole part there before that lets us understand that Jesus is God. He, he's the one through whom and for whom all things were created. Colossians chapter one, we see that Jesus is preeminent. He rules and reigns over all things. Okay, so he is God. And what does he do with his godness? Well, he takes on human flesh. He incarnates. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What, what did God do for, for you and me having wrecked, having dispersed our efforts to establish our name, right, for ourselves, to hallow other things, to to craft and, 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 and orient idols that we would try to find life in that ultimately leads to death. What, what did God do? Well, he died for you. Anything else calls you to die for it. Any other idol that you want to find your life in calls you to ultimately sacrifice what is most precious, what is most good. It promises life, but never fails to fail, always delivers death. But instead, what does God do? He delivers. He gives life. He gives himself so that he can reorient us to the place where life, real life, ultimate life is found, which is 
under his name, which is hallowing him, which is finding identity and purpose in the only place it can ultimately be found, in and through Jesus, who gave himself for us, who restores life by giving of his life. And then look... um. In Acts, in, um, we, we see, because I mentioned um, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, I also want to mention, so Acts is back here to the left um, a bit. In, in the book of Acts chapter, chapter 2, we see what happens here, right? And in, in everyone was confused because people were trying to find um, an, an identity apart from God, and God dispersed and confused them. Well, look what he does when he now reunites people together through his name. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, I'm going to read about six verses here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Again, right? Dispersed because God was saving from the destruction when we gather and try to find ourselves apart from him. So now they're drawn together in one place through Christ. And suddenly they, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now hear this part. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now what happens here when people are unified, are united in Jesus he keeps their languages, right? God is a diverse God. He is creative and beautiful. And through this tragedy, he's created all these different cultures, all these different languages. He did that because all together we could find ourselves and, and ultimately destroy ourselves apart from him. And so what does he do? He unites us through Jesus. But, but now through worship, right? Don't get all caught up right now. We could preach a different sermon in a different day. We actually have before um, through this section on, on tongues divided and fire and all that part. But, but what's ultimately happening there is people are unified together, worshiping God, and they are now able to understand one another because of the work of the Holy Spirit, not all speaking the same language, speaking their own language, but speaking the language that, that is found under the name of God that he has given them restored, called a people together in worship. And now I, I don't want to end without us going to the end of the story here in Revelation chapter 7, where we see the ultimate final culmination of this whole story, right? Walking through, preaching through the whole Bible here in about 25 minutes, where we look at the end of the story, right? We're in this place right now of uncertainty, COVID-19. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what kind of news we're going to get tomorrow, much less next week, much less in a couple weeks, in a couple months, right? There's, But we know the same God who created, the same God who is good, who is purposeful in everything that he does, has given us somewhere to place our hope. 
It's in the end of the story that he has already promised and already fulfilled through the finished work of Jesus. Because Jesus died and rose again, we know God is a God who keeps his promises. And this is the promise that we have to look forward to. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. We see such a beautiful picture that transcends, um, is across cultures, is across continents, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all the way back in Genesis chapter 11, what looked like a tragedy was actually God stepping in and dispersing people because they would establish, we would establish ourselves, our identity and our purpose apart from him. But in love, he knows that that will ultimately lead to death. So he steps in and he establishes himself, the name of Jesus, the one who has, who is given of himself, fully God, ruler and reigner, uh, reigner, rules and reigns over all things, creator of heaven and earth, and yet right, transcendent and yet imminent, present, good. And why does he do that? Because he knows that his name is ultimate, is most sacred, is where life is found. And the final day is that those who have called on the name of Jesus, those who have found life and hope and purpose in him, in his name, who've given ourselves to him, who found life in him, we will celebrate one day. And so now whatever we're going through, in a sense, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. We are proclaiming, confessing, declaring the good news that Jesus is risen, that we have hope in him. And if anything, over these last couple of weeks, we have seen what a house of cards, what a fragile world we live in when it's built on anything other than him. When we find our hope and our meaning and our security in ourselves, in our, in our health, in our, in our medical advancement, in our, right, those are all good things, our finances, the stock market, whatever. But, but when those are ultimate things, when those are life-orienting things, we're devastated, and so church, let's respond right now together in worship, celebrating the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I hear you saying amen. All right. Let's pray together and respond to our father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Heavenly father, thank you that we can come before you as your children. Lord, we can confess our fears. We don't have to pretend Oh, hopefully we've talked about that enough in the last weeks and different things, but I pray that you will orient us. You will shape us. You will reveal the life you've given in you, Lord. I pray that whatever we're walking through right now, that you will help us to hallow your name, to, to see your character and your works as most central, as most ultimate, as most promised. And from there, Lord, we will find life and hope and, and goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.